The Athletic. Totally Football Show, and away we go. At West Ham, Premier League, welcome to Erling Haaland. City get a head start in the title race thanks to their Nordic meat shields brace. Elsewhere, gross negligence at Old Trafford as United lose to Brighton. We ask if Arnautovic is the answer only to the question, are United still in trouble? We'll be rounding up all the rest of the big talking points from the opening 90 minutes of this season and more in this Totally Football Show. Monday the 8th of August, Premier League round one in the bag and here brimming with thoughts and opinions and that. We've got your Daniel story. Hello, Daniel. Good morning, James. Also here, Sasha Gurionov. Good morning, James. All right. And Carl Anker. Ahoy, hoy, James. Ahoy, hoy to you, Carl. Here's listener Neil Laws after this weekend of surprises. Say, which of your... Pre-season predictions of the panel already reconsidering. Hmm, Daniel? Hmm? Well, I think it's four days since we were talking about how Manchester City would have to work out how to build an attack around Erling Haaland. And it turns mm-hmm. out turns out it, you can do it yeah. if you are Pep Guardiola. Yeah, Pep, who I, I think probably listened to that show, certainly referenced it in his post-game comments after Haaland, after he had unleashed Haaland, in the, in, in the words of... Maximus, down at the London Stadium. Have you got a pre-season prediction that you're already rolling back on Karl Anker? I said Everton would be fine in the end. Oops. And now I'm sort of... Well, they didn't do badly. It it wasn't great. It was Mm. strange. I think the thing with Everton this season is if all their players simply perform to par, they should be a long way away from relegation. But such was the manner in which the Corey gave away that penalty. You're going, hang on. Mm. What you're doing here? Indeed. So, I hope they. I, I think they'll be fine. Okay, Sash. Well, I suppose Liverpool aren't going to win the league now, are they? <sighs> <laughs> Did you predict them to win the league? I thought they have a, they have a chance, but um, okay. given the state of their midfield um, on Saturday, <laughs> it was it was so horrific. Mm. Uh, I think Klopp's going to have to do some midfield management and maybe um, knock a few heads together, or maybe just play James Milner in every position. Indeed. Indeed, Thiago Alcantara uh, on the long list of, of, of problems for Liverpool post that uh, Fulham draw. Equally, Lubansa Sharma says, based on the first round of results, that broad sample, uh, can each of the guys on the panel give one knee-jerk prediction for the season? What well, We've just proven how bad we are at predictions, <laughs> but OK, go on then, Daniel. Uh, I'd say, as a catch-all for next season, can we please stop reading things into pre-season form? <laughs> because it's about a week ago since or in the last weeks we've had Man United fans happy they beat Liverpool 4-0 we've had Liverpool mm. fans happy they beat Manchester City we've had me falling into the how do you build an attack around Erlen Haaland trap yeah. and everything else in between it's a bit also uh, it's a bit like sell by dates in that you know it's not like at midnight on the third that that piece of salmon necessarily expires and becomes toxic Equally, it's not like results and performances suddenly become a valid basis for pontificating on once the season starts. It won't stop us, though. No, indeed not. It's kind of our business. Mm. Carl, have you got a certainty based on that opening 90 minutes? Wolves look timid, don't they? Yeah. Really timid. 
I, mm. I, you know, I, I keep watching Wolves going, they used to be more fun than this. And I was watching match today and I look at Wolves' squad and I went, I don't see enough goals here. This is mm. awkward. Sash? I, I was about to ask Carl, did you not think that Sash's performance in goal was a lot of fun? Um, I, I thought it was hilarious. Um, my prediction would be Ericsson on loan at Brentford in, in January. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. All right, well, let's get a quick check on the results from the opening round of fixtures. Friday, Arsenal kicked things off with a 2-0 win at Selhurst Park. Bosch. Saturday, Spurs replied with a 4-1 win against Saints, their biggest opening day victory since 1986. Chelsea, meanwhile, scraped to a 1-0 victory at Everton. Elsewhere... Bournemouth beat Villa 2-0. Same scoreline for Newcastle against newly promoted Nottingham Forest. And an Alexander Mitrovic brace and a dry pitch. So Fulham draw 2-2 with Liverpool. Sunday there was a brace for Erling Haaland on his debut. As Man United ran out 2-0 winners at West Ham. Brentford came from two goals down to draw 2-2 at Leicester. And a brace for Pascal Gross as Brighton recorded their first ever win at Old Trafford. But their second straight victory against Man United 2-1. All right, let's talk top two. Liverpool Saturday uh, narrowly escaping from Creven Cottage and their shiny new stand with a point while Man City introduced the Premier League to Erling Haaland and, oh my word, is that knee-jerk reaction? Is that it? Was that the title race? <laughs> it did feel a little bit like that, didn't it? Um, just the, the way, we'll probably come on to this in a bit, but the way City set up to kind of have Haaland as this latent threat where he won't touch the ball necessarily that much, but when he touches it, my goodness me, he's going to have some space and he's probably going to have a shot and he's probably going to score with it, is really worrying for the rest of the league. Uh, and it was just so easy. I mean, there's a t- there's a, a tendency when watching City that they can get really frustrating because you think, if you try here, if you quicken things up, you will score. And their answer is, well, yeah, but we'll score anyway. Uh, and we'll score when it matters, so don't worry about us. Uh, and for for fifty minutes of the game, it was barely watchable because they were just, you know, they had the the ball and West Ham on a string. And when they wanted to score, they scored. And what it did make me think is, we could very quickly get into that mood where teams go into games against Man City, basically already psychologically beaten and just thinking we'll get through it and we'll get onto our next one. West Ham on the opening day of the season looked like they were playing for a two 0 defeat. Wow. You tweeted, if you miss City's second goal, I wouldn't worry. You're going to see it about 20 times <laughs> over the next 30 weeks. Holland timing has run perfectly. And Kevin De Bruyne, who supposedly he hadn't quite reached uh, any kind of understanding with, uh, finding him and, and, and then the finish, uh, yeah, could be seeing a lot of that. If you were Scott Parker, who I believe is facing Man City next weekend, how worried would you be? What plans would you be making once you'd sorted out another eye-catching jacket to wear for the occasion? <laughs> uh, I think you'd want to try and target Jack Grealish and uh, Phil Foden. Uh, so the, the thing about Haaland, and I think the thing that Pep Guardiola seems to be doing, is he is... Trying to turn Foden and Grealish into sort of number eights who drop into more central areas and, and really do quite a lot of, you know, triangles and diamonds, Dutch football style football. Uh, and like Daniel said, it it looks slow. It looks as if they're wasting Haaland for ages at a time because Haaland, you know, for the first half especially was doing two or three runs. I mean, and you're going, well, just give him the ball 
you can score 15 goals this game. Um, and they very clearly are just waiting for the like the moment after the moment. And I think if you disrupt those two gentlemen in particular, then, I mean, you still have got to worry about Carl Walker and Joe Cancelo and Kevin De Bruyne. But at least you might not get drubbed 4-0. You might only get drubbed 2-0. So I think, yeah, it, it's it's the it's the Foden Greedish players you have to try and stop and then also pray Bernardo Silva doesn't come on later on when they get <laughs> Yeah, bored. I was going to say. And then when they struggle, they bring on... Bernardo Silva and Riyad Mahrez to replace those two. Yeah, yeah, I saw a Al- different issue. It was what was it? Alvar it was Alvarez and Silva yeah. coming on and as a substitute and I just went that's absurd. I, th- I think I started shouting at Sam Lee. And I just went why? Why are you doing this? No there's, there's no need for this. Well, conversely you could also argue look at the space in midfield when Man City just stopped the tempo for the second goal and suddenly there's no one around De Bruyne and he has the time to play that ball. So I mean no marking of Foden or Grealish would help you there. So basically I think if you double up on those players, I think City will just find that space. And I think what what I found so impressive about that second goal is that when Holland was readjusting that body, uh, his body as he was running onto the ball without really breaking pace and just sliding it first time, it's just the, again, in terms of speeding things up, they speeded things up there for a few seconds and mm-hmm. West Ham didn't know what happened. And, you know, you see the top, top class teams do that. I mean, Liverpool did it to United towards the end of last season at Anfield. There are situations where they're almost kind of showing off, look what we can do. And the other team has no chance. And I mean, I I felt a lot of sympathy for David Moyes after the game. I mean, he took tactics, but he also basically pretty much said, look, the state of these guys, we we couldn't get anywhere near them. Mm. The other scary thing for everyone else is that they now have someone who can take penalties. (laughs) (laughs) I thought thought, uh, Ariola was very unlucky there because... He got on, only got onto the pitch about five minutes beforehand, and I think that was pretty much the first thing he did. And he just, I think he just didn't get up to the pace of the game because as soon as he started off, you could see that Holland was getting there first. And I think in his head, he hasn't just hadn't made the adjustment yet. I wonder mm. uh, the the other the other thing I wonder if teams could do is, uh, uh, and if you look at Ariely's positioning for the second goal, he's still really close to his goal, and he leaves a big space. I wonder if you're just going to have to have your keeper quite a long way out of goal to try and play sweeper keeper and stop those runs in behind because I mean it, it won't necessarily work and Harlem will make plenty of goalkeepers look foolish by just rounding them but you almost have to try and press in midfield to stop the pass but also not leave much space in behind and it's I mean it's probably impossible but teams are going to have Sounds to like find it. a way yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Sash tell us about Liverpool then or actually tell us about Fulham who did they deserve actually three points from this game? Um, well, it was it was a funny old game, uh, as they would say. I actually didn't think Fulham were particularly great. I thought Fulham hustled and bustled like a team that just came out of the championship. Um, I thought Fulham were fortunate that Liverpool played with a false nine uh, for 50 minutes because I think that Tosin, Reem and Rodak um, like are a trio of championship players who would have uh, creaked under any sort of pressure. And this is what, what we saw once uh, Nunez came on. So I think... After the game, Klopp was being a bit disingenuous, basically saying the only good thing that came out of the game was the points. Because I thought that Liverpool's, the way Liverpool came back into the game in the second half, um, after basically not being on the pitch, after the experienced midfield being a complete disaster, uh, the substitutes made a lot of difference, and particularly James Milner. And as soon as Nunez got in between the two centre-backs, you could see Reem was nervous straight away. Tosin gradually lost his head. Then those two were up against Salah and Nunez with uh, Elliot wide. So Liverpool were playing effectively with a 4-2-4. And yeah. Mm. That's Fulham then. But what about Liverpool, Sasha? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, of course. So, all right, Liverpool started with a false nine. Nothing false about the Cottagers' centre-forward. 
yeah. despite some disparaging predictions for his potential form. What, two goals already? One off his last tally in the Premier League, as everyone's commented. But he was great. Mitrovic, a lot of praise as well for the midfield pairing of Palina and Pereira. I think the the, the best bit for, for Mitrovic, I thought, was the... The, the run where he, he basically got the ball 60 yards from yeah. goal and he was the only one there. And I think 18 months ago in the Premier League, he was getting really down on the fact that he was being left so isolated. It looks as if Marco Silva said to him, you're going to be isolated against good teams, but you're good enough to keep the ball. You're strong. You're, you're tricky. You've got more pace than people give you credit for because you're clever and you find space. That that was really promising, I thought. Uh, and yeah, I mean, someone else can talk about him, but Polinia was was still was Fulham's best player, I thought. Mm. What was so good about him? Just good positioning. I think it's the the thing of when you have that sort of job where you're you know constantly being overrun by players. The key part of that playing that position is being able to delay and just making the opposition player take an extra second or an extra touch before they make that pass forward. Uh, and his position was really good. Andreas Pereira, who I've watched. In, in multiple positions for Manchester United and thought he's not really got anything was admirable for Fulham. Um, and to, to go back to Mitrovic, I mean, the way he moved his feet to win that penalty, Virgil van Dijk, his entire thing is that he waits until the last moment before he makes a tackle. He's got a phenomenal amount of body control and he will make decisions that are supposed to be wrong by other centre-backs, but because he knows when to put his foot in, he comes away with the ball. So, for Mitrovic to make Van Dijk look that clumsy was remarkable. Um, and yes, I am one of the many people who thought he wouldn't be able to cut in the Premier League. So mm. uh, I think I'm going to start ordering crow from the menu. Well, I mean, count us in on that. And a side helping of humble pie, perhaps. Uh, Virgil van Dijk conceding a Premier League penalty there against Mitrovic for the first time in almost four years. Sasha. How much of a factor was it that one of these teams had spent the last few weeks touring Thailand, Singapore, Austria and Germany? Um, well, I think we saw last week that that shouldn't really have been a problem, given how Liverpool played against um, um, Man City. City. Hmm. Uh, but on this particular occasion, if I just may go back to Mitrovic, hmm. it's almost deceptively slow. Um, I think when maybe one day goes in, he, he gets expecting a player to move with a certain pace. But if you watch Mitrovic play, like he, he's slow for a Premier League player. And maybe that's what, what maybe that's what the um, opposition players might find a little bit confusing this season. At the same time, say compared to Holland against Liverpool last week, he did very well to move into the positions where he could gain maximum advantage. I.e., he could go into space, he could attack the back post by leaning on Trent. By the way, but that's you know it's what a good striker would do. So I thought that he, um, I, I, I thought I thought that generally he made himself an absolute nuisance. He's also so annoying, like to play against. He always leaves a foot in late. He rolls around to waste the time. I think he's basically he's the perfect striker for, for Fulham in this pro, possibly Fulham incarnation. Mm. Just as we've been saying in pre-season, though. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he, he's, I think he's the perfect player for for this Fulham. Um, I'm not not sure how it's gonna you know work going forward, but because I, I went to see Fulham uh, when they went up a few seasons ago against Manchester City, and I think they lost the game within like five minutes. Uh, this Fulham structure seems to be better approach to the game seems to be smarter. I, I think they basically ran the socks off for the first 55-60 minutes and then tried to hold on, but there was a certain structure to the play. They definitely disrupted Liverpool, but I think the players that they have are still pretty limited. And they need, Because also towards the end, they brought on Duffy. And Duffy is the third centre-back. 
Uh, and I think there is a general weakness there that they need to address because if you recall, last time they were up, Remo ended up on the bench. Tosin isn't great uh, and Rodak is a championship goalkeeper. They've addressed Rodak because Leno is in, but I think they do need to strengthen strength that central defence. Jürgen Klopp said that on a scale of disappointment from 1 to 10, he was a 12. I, I imagine a good chunk of that was the injury to Thiago Alcantara. Yeah, uh, I mean, I stopped short of predicting him as a PFA Player of the Year last Thursday on the show, thank goodness, because um, that would have been another one back in the hutch. But um, yeah, they they have a, a real problem now because Thiago's enjoyed this slightly odd career at Liverpool where he was he was obviously injured for a long time and then it felt for, for plenty of last season he was Liverpool's most important player. Uh, and he is so good and he he has such good control over the tempo of a game he's such a dictator of play that inevitably when he's there players around him subconsciously can kind of let him do things and can almost take their eye off the ball a little bit it's not a weakness it's just a a natural reaction to having someone who has such good control with you it's very hard to replicate that and it's very hard to shift through the gears when Thiago's not there and that's what they're going to have to do now how long do you think he'll be away for well, it, it, that sort of injury is normally weeks rather than days. So hamstring, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, he has muscle issues. So mm-hmm. I think at the moment it's who knows, but you know it, it's worth noting at the end of the last season he uh, injured his Achilles playing a crossfield ball in the game against Wolves and wasn't fit for the Champions League final. Uh, he got injured in the warm up for the League Cup final as well. Uh, mm. Absolutely fantastic player. But my concern was when the Liverpool signed him two years ago is like how how reliable would he be? Having said that, I think on Saturday, his injury was a blessing uh, because mm. that allowed Liverpool to fully change the shape in midfield, bring on Elliot, who was very, very good, um, and and James Milner, who was fantastic. Um, and I think, I, well, I understand the conversation about buying the extra midfielders. Liverpool's midfield at the moment has Elliot, Carvalho, Henderson, Fabinho and Milner. Is that enough? That's probably one short. But, you know, if, basically, I think for Klopp, if a player is good enough, he's old enough to play. So it's possibly that we will see Elliot and we'll see more of Carvalho. Um, and certainly Elliot, at the start of last season, was uh, someone that Liverpool expected to feature quite unexpectedly for everyone else, and then he got a terrible injury against Leeds. So it is entirely possible that Elliot is actually ready. It's difficult because you look at that midfield three, and you look at Manchester City, and you say, yes, of course, that midfield three, Jurgen Klopp, fantastic. You'll you'll be in the Champions League places in the season, no worries. And then you look at Manchester City and go, no, sorry. It's it's done. You know, mm-hmm. James Milner is a player who, you know, veteran of the league, but superb athleticism, and he can't keep being this good forever. And last season, he began to look like he had lost a step. Jordan Henderson's injury record is getting bigger, um, and I keep looking at Liverpool and I keep quietly going. Naby Kate, that there's like a Naby sized hole. Where there were, t- there were two, two or three times where you look at Liverpool over the season, and it's if Naby Keita t- was fit, or if Naby Keita knew how to have a six out of ten instead of only having an eight out of ten or a four out of ten, then this wouldn't be a problem. And that's the concern for Liverpool. I was going to mention a solution if you don't have enough midfielders. Play 4 2 3 1. Uh, because I think uh, that will allow Liverpool to be more direct, especially against the smaller sides. Um, and that's what we saw with Nunez as well. Uh, so I think the whole approach didn't change ch- changed as Liverpool had fewer midfielders and more attackers on. Perfect. All right. Perhaps Jürgen will do that next Monday when Liverpool host Crystal Palace at Anfield. As mentioned, City will be playing on the Saturday at home to Bournemouth. Very good. Hey, we'll be talking about Palace and Bournemouth and all the rest of the division uh, in the rest of today's show. 
Uh, next up, ooh, Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs. Hi, I'm Danny Kelly. You can join me, Jack Pitt-Brook and the rest of the Athletics' frankly tremendous team of Tottenham writers twice a week throughout the new season for the View from the Lane podcast. It's the podcast that gives you everything you need to know about Spurs as well as all the joy and pain of actually following them. Search for The View from the Lane everywhere you get your podcasts and listen ad-free on The Athletic. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Milano, Welbeck makes the move to the right. He looks the other way, though. This is Solly March. And March finds a way through. Gross is there again and scores again. Pascal Gross has started this season on fire. Top four race. Got off to the following start. Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs all got victories. Man United... Did not losing to Brighton. Hey, Carl. So, premise, you're not allowed to talk about Man United here. Of course, Brighton's first ever win at Old Trafford, but their second straight victory over United because they did them 4-0 back in May. Since then, had lost Basuma and Cucurella. But it doesn't seem to have made much difference, does it? No, no. This is, this is a finely tuned, well-coached Brighton team who... If you talk to Graham Potter or anyone associated with it, with the club, uses all that really fun buzzword alignment um, of a high everyone's properly aligned to one simple page. And they were very good. They saw a, a, a supine Manchester United team, played them off the park for 45 minutes. And then when United changed shape and changed their order a little bit and, and, and worked their way into the game, changed shape again uh, to, to take this thing out of the tail. I think Graham Potter was... Really, really clever in, in understanding that when Ronaldo came on the field, they should uh, move to a basically make the gap between the three centre-backs a lot more constricted because Ronaldo was going to try and run between, between the space. Uh, and they also brought the wing-backs back. And then when, as United mounted the pressure more, uh, Graham Potter again uh, brought on Tarek Lamptey uh, and, and told Solly Marsh and the wing-backs to push for, further forward and to have an out-ball. Uh, and the way they're coached, Brighton are so coached, you know, it, they're very good at the overlaps on the lap. So, you know, all the joy that the minimal joy that Marcus Rashford had during that game was 
immediately switched off from the 75th minute onwards. This was just get two goals and then manage the game very, very well. Moses Cancedo is the sort of player that Manchester United used to be able to scout, identify Mm. and bring in properly 10, 15 years ago. Were they not interested in him about 18 months ago? They were apparently and then they they got cold feet um, for reasons uh, and he went to Brighton for four 0.5 0.5 million. He's going to cost the next football club somewhere in the region of 40 to 60 million in, in a year or two. Because this is what Brighton do. Brighton are a good Premier League team because they do all the things that uh, a more moneyed club like Manchester United believe are beneath them. Yeah, mm. they, they, and and is, we have to recognise the environment these players are offer, operating in as well. You know, there's a benefit to have being bought before Eve Basuma was sold, that there was a, a succession plan that Brighton knew. Um, so uh, And Caicedo knew, so he wasn't, mm-hmm. firstly, he wasn't coming into the team on the first day of a new season at Old Trafford, kind of thinking, oh my goodness me, this feels a little bit daunting. He already knew his job. It isn't just the scouting and the recruitment, it's the environment that the coach and the, the coaching staff and... Uh, the other players, the senior players, the the management at the club. It's the environment that they've created that means a player flourishes in that position, um, not flounders. And there are other clubs, and Manchester United are one of them, that it, it almost doesn't matter if they'd signed Caicedo 18 months ago. You're kidding yourself if you think that United would have had the same performance from Caicedo in that game as Brighton did, because everything about the clubs are different. Mm. Two goals for Pascal Gross. Remarkable stuff. He's now up to six against Man United. Brighton had a fair shout for the chance to get a third from the spot when Danny Welbeck was barged into by Lisandro Martinez, who was having a difficult debut, is it fair to say, for the Red Devils. He didn't give away a penalty, so that was that was the plus point. It was a really interesting battle of physical ability versus technical skill. So Danny Welbeck, ever since he left Manchester United, seemed to have spent a lot of time in the gym uh, and much has been made of Lissandro Martinez being the short king of, of centre-back play. Uh, and for the majority of that first half, Martinez had his timing right because he absolutely had to. Because Martin you know, if Martinez got his timing wrong, Welbeck would have had him on toast. And to a lesser extent, Welbeck eventually got the first goal because he went, oh, I'll just bully Harry Maguire instead. And then you could see things got slightly more frantic as the old Manchester United issues came into play and Martinez's timing just became a fraction off when defending. I think in possession, he was still quite good. Uh, Bringing about a shoulder barge that, I mean, yeah, that's a penalty. Mm. He really got away with that one. It does also say something about the two clubs. I know we're not talking about Manchester United, but um, it does say something about the clubs that that Lissandro Martinez cost more than Erling Haaland, doesn't it? I know there's an... (laughs) I know there's a lot of different factors in there, including agent payments and payments to family members potentially, but it smacks of the succession plan of a of a club. I, th- I think it's one of those things. Of, I, I mean, if you want to talk about succession plan, it's it's the fact that Manchester United have have lined up for the start of this season with a brand new shiny centre back after the start of last season, having a really nice unveiling of a brand new shiny centre back, Rafa Varane, who is now I'm going to assume is third choice. Uh, Eric Ten Hag on Friday mentioned that. Varane is on a specialised training programme and has been for the last three weeks. Uh, So this is the thing. Manchester United have spent the better part of 250 million on centre-backs and defence is not getting better because the big problem isn't necessarily the centre-backs. It's the players in front of them 
and outside of them. And I was going to say, when you guys started talking about physicality versus skill, um, actually, for me, the whole thing was summed up by Maguire versus Trossard. Um, they had yeah. that little little set to, and Maguire was literally twice his size. And it was Trossard who was so instrumental in playing around United, yeah. for, literally from the first minute. And um, I think after the game, Ten Hag said, oh, they gave away two goals, but they didn't. Because I thought that the way that Brighton particularly crafted the second goal, uh, given the players involved in the complexity of the move, was absolutely extraordinary. And this is where United, for all the physicality and big club stature and everything, they, just, they, had, they, had, they didn't understand what was happening. Had Dalo caught up the pitch, Eriksen was jogging back at the wrong time. The big centre-back didn't know what was happening around him. And Gross just ghosted him to grab the second goal. And I thought that this, 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 this was, for me, was definitely um, uh, sort of triumph of brains of a brawn. Brilliant. Uh, United's commitment to the banter unwavering as they chase uh, Adrian Rabio, we learned from uh, theathletic.com, but also uh, Marco Arnautovic, who, of course, has previously worked with Ten Hag. Uh, everyone's doing miming oh, the, my brain's exploded. But what it, no, but what if it was a good idea, actually? Well, I mean, maybe, not. but it's, if, it's, if it was a good idea. It's just idea. not. No. It's so, not. I mean, I mean you're, you spent ages talking this summer, speaking about how you're going to get rid of all the failures of of last summer and, and, and deal with the combustible elements and short-termism plans. And your solution to that is to bring in Andre Rabiot, whose mother is his agent and is known for being a heavily combustible agent, both for club and country. And Anatovic, if one of your problems right now for Manchester United is the Cristiano Ronaldo issue, why are you bringing in another wide player who was turned into a striker who has a big ego? Why are you getting store-brand Ronaldo to deal with Ronaldo? A store-brand Ibrahimovic. They're all store brand. This is the thing. Stop buying over 30 strikers. The, the inches, they just can't. Sorry. Scratch, I'm sorry. Yeah. I wasn't meant to do this today. It's uh, right on Friday morning. Monday morning. I, I am a huge fan of, I'm a huge fan of them, the explanation that, uh, well, he, he he's played under him before and you think, yeah, but it was like more than a decade ago. And he, he, he's had four years at Stoke City since then. I mean, it's not... <laughs> And he's had he's had two years in China as well. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right then. Anyway, who have United got next weekend? Uh, it's Brentford, Brentford away. Brentford away. Not another well coached team. What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> you saw Brentford this this weekend, uh, Daniel. You went off to y- your choices of the two games to actually physically visit this weekend were Leicester against Brentford and Leeds Wolves, which. Well, both, as it turned out, pretty entertaining affairs, but slightly singular choices. Yeah, well, I kind of viewed it as um, they felt like some of the most fascinating clubs in the league this season because I don't mm. really know what to expect from any of them. Nice. Um, uh, and that's kind of how it went, you know. I mean, a, a very brief rundown. Leeds and Wolves, I, I, I can't work out whether Leeds were better than Wolves. Both were as bad as each other or Leeds just made the most of their moments. But there was a, there was a period of time when there was basically just nobody in midfield was making a pass and the ball was just sort of flying to end-to-end on, on counter-attacks. Leeds obviously won the game. Brendan Harrison was good and, and slightly unlucky not to be awarded the second goal goes down as an OG. Um, Wolves, yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like they're, they're going to sign Gonzalo Guedes this week, uh, given the connection that's finally paying off, whether he's good enough or not. They need bodies because their bench was incredibly weak on on Saturday and there's talk of, of Morgan Gibbs-White going to Forest for a, a high fee but they can't really afford to sell at the moment and then they're, they're also looking at 
loaning with an option to buy Connor Cody out to Everton, which mm. seems, uh, I mean, is it is is explainable in that Lager wants to move to a back four, has moved to a back four, and doesn't think Cody can play in that. And I think there's also an element that there's a lot of goodwill towards Connor Cody, understandably, and therefore they want him to get in the World Cup squad, so let him go. But um, yeah, that was an odd game, and then and then. Leicester and Brentford was more kind of relearning what I already knew. So it was Leicester looking good and then sitting back and being unable to defend a lead and and Brentford being well coached and getting themselves back into the game. A quick word for Josh De Silva, who has been injured for most of the last 18 months, uh, scored the equaliser, a brilliant curling goal. And then at the end of the game, Thomas Frank kind of dragged him to the away end and almost sort of lifted him up on his feet and said, show this guy some love, which, which the fans did. That was a really nice moment. A beautiful goal for... Uh, Kieran T- Dewsbury Hall. I think that was Leicester's second, wasn't it? Yes, that was. Yes. Yeah. yeah, from straight from yeah. kickoff. Straight yeah. from kickoff. My word. Two uh, nil down. They were Brentford. They roared back while their fans sang, "Jamie Vardy, your wife is a grass." Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of opponents are they going to be for United? Do you think next weekend? Flexible. Yeah, I mean, similar to Brighton in that, just well coached. Players know what they're doing. Nordgaard is a superior central midfield player to Fred and Scott McTominay. And that feels absolutely bizarre to say. Um, their goalkeeper is a better goalkeeper than David De Gea, which is bizarre to say, but this is mm. the reality. De Gea, who, Sasha, as a keeper yourself, perhaps you'll have a thought on his performance. I, I, I saw, Fred. yeah, I was reading a lot of criticism about him after the game, but I, I don't think... I don't think he's directly at fault for the two goals. Um, really? Yeah, I don't think so. I think it's a difficult ball across for the first one for the hair, and the second one he actually does push it away from the goal. For example, he Robert Sanchez. Catch it? Uh, uh, mm, difficult. He um, just the just hands. get it away. Plus, no one actually knew that the cross was there at the back post. So I, I think he broadly does the right thing. Unlike Sanchez, who tended to push the ball in front of him or Pickford. Come on, Carl, say something. My issue with David there is not necessarily based on the two goals that Manchester United conceded, but in terms of Ball progression. Is yeah, that's, that's a different conversation. It? Yeah, yeah. It is. The, yes. And, and if you want your goalkeeper to just be a shot stopper, David De Gea is above average. But if you want to be in the top four, your goalkeeper can't just do that anymore. And if you want to play Ten Hag football, I'm guessing. For what Manchester United want to do and for what Ten Hag wants Manchester United right. to do. And I'm really sorry for talking about Manchester United again. Rye was better. Rye <laughs> is better than what David De Gea is at this point in time. Yeah. I think there's a strong argument for that, yeah. Brentford, Brighton, there are teams well outside the European places in the Premier League who have better players than Manchester United. There are, this is a this is a great thing for the Premier League in that great, bad, I don't know, depending on if you are Joan Laporta or what not. But the Premier League is the global brand. The Premier League can bring in players for, for large amounts of money. The Premier League can have a recently promoted club make a £40 million bid for, for Morgan Gibbs-White. Um, so, yeah, I think this Brentford team will be very flexible, will be very well coached, and I think they'll be well away from the relegation places come the end of the season. Uh, Daniel, do you think Ben Mee should play against United? It was funny, Ben Mee, yesterday, because when Brentford were bad, he, he was sort of stepping out of defence. He was almost playing as like a an auxiliary attacking midfielder. and then But that's not his game. Yeah, it was a funny one. But, but then when Brentford began to dominate the ball, he didn't really need to do that because Leicester was sitting so far back that, that their midfield could kind of just shift up the pitch and it worked. I thought it was a slightly difficult debut for him, but it will take time. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Christopher Aye is first choice ahead of Ben Mee this season. 
we should say on Brentford, Danny Welbert played really well at the weekend, but Ivan Tony will be licking his lips about doing exactly the same thing um, because yeah, Brighton. There was there had been reports that Brighton looking at Tony over the last couple of years as an option, and I think he is perfect for the way they play. He's perfect for the way Brentford play, and he will be. He'll just <laughs> if you're Thomas Frank, you just say go and watch that game back. Look at what Welbeck did and do it. I back you to do it slightly better, and therefore we'll get the same result. Mm. Wow. All right. Well, excellent stuff for Brentford as they came back at uh, Leicester. Excellent stuff for Brighton too. Uh, we'll get onto that chat about Chelsea, Arsenal, and Spurs next. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman, and I'm back with some good news. I'll be hosting the Athletic Football Podcast four times a week. I'll be joined by the likes of Adam Crafton, David Ornstein, Flo Lloyd-Hughes, Matt Slater, and plenty more of The Athletic's brilliant journalists. And together, we'll bring you the best insight into the biggest football stories. So that's every single week, Monday to Thursday. And if you like what we do, then please follow and subscribe to The Athletic Football Podcast in all the usual places. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Chelsea, Spurs and Arsenal, all getting the season off to a winning start. Arsenal were the first team in action Friday night, 2-0 away at Crystal Palace. Gabriel Batanelli with the, with the first goal of the campaign and that Mark Guichy own goal. A lot of excitement about William Saliba's debut. Three years after signing for Arsenal, why is it taking that long for him to finally get his shot? I... I think it's a mix of he sort of fell in the hinterland where he, he, he was slightly better than Arsenal thought initially, which meant he, he could have pushed for the first team, but wasn't quite ready enough for the first team. So they, they figured we loan him out. Mm. And then he was so good in France that they thought, well, if we just leave him here for a little bit longer, he's going to come back as an absolute ready-made central defender. And that's exactly what we saw on Friday night. If you'd have watched that game not knowing anything about them, you'd have said that, that Gabriel and, and Ben White were the, were the relative novice central defenders in there, and Saliba was the the old, composed, cultured head. He was he was fantastic. His positioning was amazing. What I really liked about him, it's a very niche thing, but every time the camera panned on him, and it did it a lot because he was playing so well, he just had this steely, complete steely glare that said, I know exactly what I'm doing here. I knew tonight would be hard. Everyone told me it would be. But he, he just owned it. He really did. Uh, he, he wasn't the difference between the two teams because I think Arsenal dominate the first 30 minutes. But yeah, he was again the best player. So he was basically the perfect antithesis to the erratic Ramsdale, uh, who I thought it was his mistake on 29 minutes that actually made the momentum turn. And I think those things happen when goalkeepers do something ridiculous, like trying to, like clutching a clearance against the opposition striker's heels. But I think <laughs> that actually massively unsettled Arsenal after that. Um, but I, th- I thought I thought that overall, again, what we saw last season is Vieira does make adjustments as the game goes on. And I think the second half um, was done very nicely by Crystal Palace. I thought Eze, the way they crafted the chance for Eze was superb to find that space just on Arsenal's left. Um, and he should have really scored. Um, but I think, again, looking at this game, I think there's quite a lot of optimism for Palace this season, which is, I still think it's a remarkable transformation from about 16 months ago. Mm, OK, Palace who have announced that Christian Benteke... He's off to DC United. 
Screw it. He should have waited three days and he'd have been starting for Manchester United in two weeks' time. <laughs> <laughs> Why? <laughs> Spurs, meanwhile, the next day with a 4-1 victory against Southampton. That's Tottenham's biggest opening day win since 1986. What's that, 36 years? Bang on. Dejan Kulosevsky, star of this particular show. Southampton, five defeats in a row now for them. Any thoughts on this game? It's not looking good, Brev. It's not looking good if you're a Southampton fan. Uh, Ralph Hasenhutl is overcomplicating things with a squad that is short on Premier League experience and weak in a number of areas. So it was a 3-5-2 and you've got Jan Valery, who's a wing-back as your right centre-back. You've got, you know... Gineppo left wing back, which is which he's not odd. a left wing back, and we've known no. this since the Hashtag 1920 season. And <laughs> oh, 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 and he kept tinkering and he kept changing, and and we know Ralph Hasenhutl was, you know, Red Bull educated, shall we say? And, and those clubs tend to use the four-two-two-two system, and he seems to have gone backwards now in that he's gone back to the three-five-two that he used when he first arrived in England in 2018, because I think he doesn't necessarily trust his defensive options, which is deeply concerning if you're a Southampton fan. They are in trouble, and I think they may benefit from going to a 4-3-3 just so you have more round pegs in more round holes. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I think it was yeah, it was very telling, the um, comments after the game, that basically uh, we tried to defend the numbers, but uh, numbers in this situation didn't matter if people don't do the jobs properly. But I think at the same time, I, I like seeing the, the, this Conte team because you have your width, uh, you have your one wing back, Sessignon pushing right on, but the other one is Kulshevsky drifting wide, yet you have the option of Royale going on the overlap. It's really it's really nice the way they do it, and they stretch that back five to the extent that the, the back five couldn't cope anymore. Mm-hmm. So, and, but at the same time, they weren't proactively going out to the wide players because maybe from what Carl says, because they are not quite sure of what they're supposed to be doing. Or how if they should be overcommitting or not, but at the same time, you know, the way Sessegnon scores the first goal, Kyle Walker Peters does have a look behind him, and then he stops, and I think that's that's the moment to make the run, and he just fails to attack the ball. Having said the delivery is brilliant, so I, I actually, and this this isn't really supposed to be the first choice uh, wing backs for Spurs either, from what I understand. So I think from Spurs' point of view, extremely extremely encouraging the way it worked out, and the movement from Kulusevski and Son made really what Kane did quite irrelevant because. You're almost you're playing, you know, side to side and kind of skipping this middle part. And Kane is just there to, as, to act as a distraction for a bunch of central midfielders and central defenders, opening up spaces on the wide. I thought lovely performance by Spurs. Kulisevsky is is already feels like the one that got away for a number of huge clubs, including Juventus, obviously, who <laughs> still officially own him, because he has this directness, which in the Premier League, it just looks made for the Premier League. He's six foot one, you know, he can he can handle himself. He's quick. He can dip inside. He, he looks like, you know, I, I apologise for hot take time, but he looks like the, the player that City could have done with as that extra forward rather than Jack Grealish because he's just phenomenal on that right wing. And yet he can, you would trust to put him in as a number 10 and he would do the same. You'd put him out on the left and he'd, he'd just go wide and do the same. He, he's just absolutely brilliant. And he's still only 22. And if he keeps improving like that, he is, you know, for all the Kane and Son and Christian Romero chat, he is the difference maker in that Spurs team. Remarkable. Spurs next weekend are going to be visiting Chelsea, which is going to be a very interesting game. Chelsea, who 
were victorious this weekend away at Everton after losing four years in a row at Goodison. Carl wasn't impressed with the Toffees, who did actually create a lot of chances. Their XG was over three, but that that Deli Alley moment, though. Oh, it's quite sad watching Deli Alley play football in 2022, isn't it? The thrill of young Deli Alley was intuitive imagination. He would just execute things that most people couldn't even imagine in a split second and it got off perfectly and now he he's thinking or buffering you can sort of see the pinwheel turning in his head when he gets onto the ball and you're going oh this is this is not great not not many worse environments to be in i don't think specifically for him than than everton at the moment as well. i think the, the hope was that he could leave london he could Leave London, new environment, leave possible distractions of London, uh, and then a new environment, he could sort of reboot that sort of intuitive imagination. And he just looks utterly drained. Chelsea were slightly odd, I thought, in that I expected it to be the new signings that took a while to kind of settle in. And yet it was the new signings who I thought were probably two of their best three players, along with Thiago Silva. They were kind of staccato, and it was only really sterling breaking the lines, which was surprising. We don't, we still don't really know what Chelsea's attack is this season, do we? Because it seems like they're now selling Timo Werner to Leipzig, so that's done. Kai Havertz just sort of floating around like a, a sort of Victorian child ghost on <laughs> Saturday tea time. Just sort of, oh, yeah, there he is, and oh, suddenly he's gone again, and I, I can't work out where he is. And it's, yeah, I mean, Sasha might have some ideas, but I've got no... I don't know what they're going to do with that attack. Well, I, I think... Um... I think they might need a bit of time for, you know, Chilwell and James get to get back in the groove. You remember that Chilwell before injury wasn't a really, really good run of form. Also, Chilwell wins the penalty here as well. So I think I think they should be given a bit of a chance there. But the uncertainty up top doesn't help. I thought I thought the game was largely unwatchable, to be honest, um, because just the mistakes everywhere, both goalkeepers making really bad errors, then having to pull out saves after that to make up for it, or in Pickford's case, Ball goes out of play, uh, defenders teaming back in, gets injured. Uh, I think he's broken fibula, which is not that bad, but he'll be out for a few weeks, Godfrey. And yeah, it's... Um, I think a bit more than that, no? Yeah, that's it's, not, it's not fibula, tibia is the big one. Fibula is a small bone. Uh, you know, uh-huh. two bones in your lower leg. And that's... Such is hard, isn't it? Three weeks back. <laughs> well, no, no it's, it's, it's not necessarily fun. three weeks. It's like, I think, yeah, I think, I think three, four weeks probably with like HMBs and stuff. It's probably... Uh, oxygen chamber is probably is probably realistic to be honest because it kind of just heals on its own. I don't think you, unless it's completely messed up. I don't think you even have to operate it. Um, says he with lots of broken bones in his body. But um, so yeah, I, I just thought the, the, it's. I, I don't really know what to take away from this apart from I think the entire spectacle was actually quite depressing. Um, okay. <laughs> for for Everton um, was because I mean they have their injuries out as well and trying to play five. I think they did okay with what they had. Uh, for Chelsea, as the guys have said, you know, what are they playing at? Um, mm. Not sure. And um, yeah, I think maybe we might find out more about Chelsea when they really have to turn up against Spurs next week. OK. Jorginho with the only goal of the game. It was from the penalty spot, of course. Very good. This weekend's opening one of the new season, sort of first day back at school. So everyone's showing off their new garms. Chelsea's kit, I, I like that. I didn't think that was depressing. No, Sasha's not having that. Arsenal playing pink shirts, prompting uh, one Lord Sugar to tweet, pink shirts, exclamation mark. I wonder if Ian Wright would have played in a pink shirt. Ian Wright then, I imagine in direct response, Carl, just went straight out and matched the day with the brightest pink shirt you could possibly wear. Uh, The Nagelsmann Award for this weekend, though, I wanted to give it to 
um, Ralph Hasenhuttle for his white shoes with the suit. But it's Scott Parker's jacket for me, the fashion undergraduate plus a roll of white insulating tape statement jacket. Very meeting partner's parents for the first time out. Do you think? Scott but Parker. with that yeah. weird three stripes thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's like a sergeant. sergeant is it four stripes? Yeah. It's a Tom Brown suit, I believe. Is it? mean? Oh, right, Carl. Uh, sorry. Back over to you. I think it's a Tom Brown suit and it's reassuringly expensive. It gave off very much a uh, university lecturer that would sit with his chair backwards and go, that's the real. That's Hygien Dalek for you right there. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm, now my mind has exploded trying to imagine Scott Parker on a chair the wrong way around saying, let's do real. Um, but it, whatever he is doing worked pretty well against Aston Villa. Let's talk about Bournemouth. Everyone's tip to be the team most in trouble, but they didn't look it this weekend. Yeah, I really like the quote from Scott Parker after the game. He was getting interviewed on, on Five Live, and he's saying, you know, everyone's been putting us down for weeks, and that you just use that as fuel, and, you know, maybe people are wrong about Bournemouth. And this is the same Scott Parker who a week ago was saying, we're six days out from the start of the season, we're way short, they're, they're just the facts. The, the club need to work out whether they even want to compete. The squad's weaker than it was two months ago. And I kind of think, fair play, if you've managed to use your own words as a kind of <laughs> motivational tool for your own players, that's that's genius, so fair play. You you saw quite a bit of Bournemouth in the in the Championship, Daniel. Was it was it a similar sort of performance to this? Yeah, I mean, it, the, just as with Fulham and Mitrovic, it sounds very trite, but Dominic Solanke is, is probably going to be the difference maker between whether they stay up or not and his ability to score goals regularly. The defence is weak and they've lost Nat Phillips, who was on loan last season, and they've lost Gary Cahill, who has retired. So they, they need bodies. They are signing players this week, I'm, I'm told. But yeah, they brilliant performance. And we'll probably talk about Villa because I think that was mm. the biggest story from the game. But uh, I think I think one thing it does show is for Fulham and for Bournemouth starting I'm not just saying this because I, I support Forest but having your first league game at home and being able to kind of build this atmosphere around the first game is massive I think for promoted clubs Alright well let's talk about Villa then and the growing restlessness among their supporters at the team's continuing poor form despite the fact that there's been yet more spending and now a proper pre-season under their manager Stephen Gerrard Tyron Mings chuckling away, uh, looking at the set-piece defending. Uh, Diego Carlos definitely not marshalling that back line. Diego Carlos, who was linked with Liverpool two years ago for £75 million. Uh, Interesting uh, what happened to him. But, I mean, they're, they're defending generally. Um, whenever Bournemouth went forward, the, the line there was no line. Um, the goals came from just total state of disorganisation. Um you could look at that. Think well, maybe he needs a few more games before they know what they're talking about. But I'm, I'm not. I'm not a great fan of Tyron Mings because I think he switches on off way too often. But in this game, you were looking at thinking, well, someone have a voice back there. Um, but and also Coutinho completely absent from, from, from the proceedings when they kind of needed him to step up. So yeah, it's very very discouraging. Yeah, and d- discouraging because it, it carries on the form at the end of last season. Villa have won two of their last twelve Premier League games, and both of those were against teams who got relegated last season Norwich and Burnley mm. well, a cracking start anyway to Bournemouth a less so for Nottingham Forest Daniel defeated 2-0 at Newcastle ooh nice goals yeah they were Fabian shares a carbon copy of his I mean almost an identical carbon copy of um, his goal against Burnley last season when he kind of thrashed it in from the edge of the area Forest were what certainly I if not 
football fans expected, which is a team that's half new and half slightly championshipy, <laughs> and it's tough. As I say, I think if you have your first game at home, you can kind of build an atmosphere around that. Um, but Newcastle were everything that Forest were, which is kind of in harmony with each other. They had no new outfield players. They just picked up where they left off, and that's exactly what Forest can't do. There will be more transfers this week. It looks like Alex Moreno, left another left-back from Real Betis, and Morgan Gibbs-White, they're, they're chasing really hard. Um, and it's going to take time to settle. The question is, can Steve Cooper kind of get over this upheaval start and build something cohesive quickly? We'll define the season. How much time do you think he has? Because, I mean, they looked completely Ooh. overwhelmed by the intensity um, like I mean, from, from, from watching the game. My sensible answer is that if Forest can keep in touch until... November in the World Cup they don't have lots of players going and the players that are might well be back after the group stage so that would almost allow him to have a second pre-season I think that's the aim the the slightly less or the slightly more emotional answer is that Forrest have sacked a manager in every year since I think 2011 so um, and the owner has been very 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 vehement in his claims that Forrest are not just trying to stay up they're trying to consolidate hence the hundred million pounds plus of spending they'll do this summer and it's not that easy it's not just money plus signings equals surviving relegation we know that it's going to be hard they didn't have a choice but to rebuy you know they, they lost a lot of players over the summer but uh it's going to be tricky okay well it is only the opening day of the season <laughs> woe is me easy mm. but you know we've, we've seen plenty of teams roar back and make a mockery yeah. of early reactions to their first games so yeah we shall see we shall see who who Forrest got next weekend West Ham at home mm. uh, those that's, those two fixtures were either going to be ideal because if you get something from them you think we're beating established Premier League clubs or they're either going to make you realise oh yes the top half clubs are far better than us you've <laughs> just got to beat the teams around you but yeah there'll, there'll be a great atmosphere next weekend West Ham obviously coming off a tricky performance as well so yes a statement performance needed mm. Very good. Of course, we'll be looking forward to those games, all the uh, second round of the Premier League action on Thursday on the Toby Football Show, the European edition of which returns on Tuesday. Uh, it's going to be out a little bit later this season, coming out probably Tuesday lunchtime, looking back on uh, the opening rounds in Germany and France. What about uh, Gini Van Adam's welcome in Rome? Yes. Numero 25! Well, we'll have James Hawkins's uh, reaction to that. We'll get to Julian Laurence on PSG's winning start. Crikey. And Leo Messi's brace. And Aaron Ramsey's goal. Aaron Ramsey's goal for Nice. Ooh, there'll be a bit of Bayern Munich. Not missing Lewandowski much as they put six past Eintracht Frankfurt and other things too. Oh, we'll also be talking about levers probably in Barcelona and why Frankie de Jong isn't one. Anyway, uh, that's on Tuesday. Hey, we might also mention the Champions League third preliminary round. Is it the final preliminary round before you get into the group stage? No, there's another one afterwards. Will Rangers be in that other one afterwards? Not sure. They are currently 2-0 down. From their trip to Belgium last week to face Union Saint-Gilois, revelations of the Jupiter Pro League last season. 
But there is a big European night to come at Ibrox on Tuesday. So, um, yeah, could you turn it around? We shall see. Meantime, anything else you want to say? Any final thoughts on the opening 90 minutes of this Premier League campaign? Shout out for, I think, the most erratic performance of the opening round is um, Wolves' Sa in goal. Slapped an opposition player in the head, uh, should have been a pen. Um, considered the goal, basically threw himself in the near post and then dribbled into his own net. So I think it was a remarkable start to his Premier League season. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you so much, Sasha, for today. And Carl and Daniel, thanks as well to producer Charlie. And you listener, Thursday, producer Charlie just told me it's going to be Duncan Alexander, Michael Cox and Jay Harris. So that'll be fun. And uh, we'll look forward to speaking to you then. For now, though, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.